When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Have a good weekend, my friend. This is the last Friday you're going to head into the weekend wondering what chaos Trump may cause you as your president. As a parting gift, he's radio silent so far tonight, and that's good because we have a lot of new information. So let's get after it. Trump's insurrectionists, and we have more reason than ever to call them that, as you're going to hear tonight. They may have only been seconds away from reaching the vice president and members of Congress. I want you to watch something. It happened about a minute after Pence was hustled out of the chamber. The Trump mob demand to know where the vote was being counted. Then a brave lone officer saves the day by luring them away. Watch. That guy deserves a medal, especially being who he was in the face of who was opposing him. The Washington Post reports Pence was hiding less than 100 feet from that landing. Zip tie cuffs were the least of their plans. Chance of hang Mike Pence. One of them allegedly left a threatening note for the VP, thanks to Trump throwing Pence under the bus, lying that he could and failed to change the election result. And guess who allegedly left that note? The guy with the horns on his head, the face paint, and the six-foot spear. The one who calls himself the QAnon shaman. In court papers, the feds say Jacob Chansley's note read, quote, It's only a matter of time. Justice is coming. And yet, the mob, who Trump says he loves, they may wind up being his worst enemy and house manager's best hope. Why? You heard Chancellor's lawyer on this program yesterday say his client's defense is, Trump told me to come. He invited us to the Capitol. Now let's look at that. While being taken in by Trump tripe may not help the uh, horn-headed heathen in court, it may be very powerful, powerful proof in a political trial of Trump. Why? Because Trump is going to argue that his words could be taken different ways. They weren't directions. But here, followers like this guy are removing all doubt, saying they attacked our democracy because Trump said to. And this kooky guy's not a one-off. That would not be the strongest basis for your case, this guy. Tonight, we have a far more normal-looking person who claims the same for why he went to the Capitol and did bad things. Now, this is not about giving these people a platform to spin. 
It is about setting GOPers straight at trial about the truth of Trump's role. And what irony, Trump's most ardent followers may prove to be his undoing. More ironic still, their biggest impact will be what he denied them, speaking the truth. Now, there's a bigger picture here. Trump brought this on himself, to be sure, but he did not act alone. And there are growing concerns about inside help from members of Congress. Investigators are looking into accusations. Some may have given tours to members of that mob in the days before. Why? Speaker Pelosi suggests there should be criminal charges if any lawmaker helped with this. If, in fact, it is found that members of Congress were accomplices to this insurrection, if they aided and abetted the crime, there may have to be actions taken beyond the Congress and, and uh, in terms of prosecution for that. Now, I don't know about that. We'll only know what they show. But here's what's clear. The Capitol was not properly defended. The question there is, why not? Is this about incompetence or something worse? They certainly can't say they didn't know. Why? There's new reporting tonight from the Washington Post that an internal Capitol Police Intelligence Report, Capitol Police Intelligence Report, warned three days before the attack of a violent scenario in which Congress itself could be the target of angry Trump supporters. Three days. Let's dig deeper with a member of Congress who had a narrow escape that day, Democrat Sean Patrick Maloney from New York. Good to see you safe, brother. Good to be with you, Chris. Uh, First question goes to the idea of this new reporting. Did you know about this report that was made in advance? Are you talking about the Capitol Police report? Yeah. No, first I've heard of it. But but I but I have to tell you, I, I think that it, the whole thing smacks of a bunch of agencies trying to get right. Um, it, it's clearly a huge miss on everyone's part. I mean, I spoke to the sergeant of arms personally uh, two hours after the attack, and he told me they expected a peaceful protest, and my jaw hit the ground. I, I think anybody who was looking would have seen all kinds of warning signs. So there needs to be a dispassionate and thorough investigation Uh, And the rest of this, I think, is just people trying to get. So the memo that they're talking about, here's the quote from the piece that matters. The memo concluded that January 6 was shaping up to be a potentially perfect storm of danger because of the size of the expected crowds, the urgency of the group's mission, the call for demonstrators to bring lethal weapons, the location of the two uh, largest protests in close proximity to the Capitol grounds, and the fact that both have been promoted by President Trump himself. I can't think of another example of so many different layers saying the same thing and nothing happening. Capitol Police, FBI, U.S. Intel, all of these NGOs that survey these kinds of haters. What do you make of it? I think it's a massive failure. I think you'd have to go back to 9-11 to find a similar failure uh, that was so comprehensive. I mean, those of us who were there the day before, the morning of, um, we could tell it was something was wrong. I mean, you had a bike rack up, and tens of thousands of these guys, uh, you know, you know, around the city, you know, in in pickup trucks circling the Capitol. Uh, we could tell something was going to happen. Some of my colleagues wore sneakers that day because they thought they might have to run. I mean, the fact is, is that I think it was obvious for anybody who was looking that the president had assembled a mob, 
had brought them to Washington, was inciting them, and he sent them down to the Capitol. They did exactly what he wanted. Mm. And it is the Republicans in Washington who, are, who share that accountability in the Congress, who perpetuated this lie that the election was stolen, um, who put the, their own vice president's life at risk by, by making him appear to be doing a, something, something wrong when, in fact, he was doing his constitutional duty. Um, those, those, those actions and those, those, uh, those intentions were clear, I think. And so I don't know how they missed it. I, don't, I just don't know how it happened. I mean, the question is whether or not they just did a bad job or they did a bad on, job on purpose. Uh, and we'll see. Um, how powerful do you think members of the mob saying, I came here and did this because the president was saying I should? How powerful do you think that will be in a political trial? Yeah, I don't know. I think that this is one of those things where the evidence is overwhelming that the president incited this violence. Uh, the members of the Senate are just going to make a political decision. I mean, they're frankly deciding, are they with the mob or are they with the Constitution? And it would be really great if, if starting with Mitch McConnell on down, they could stand up at this late hour for what is right. Uh, and it may be that their cynicism, their belief that the path back to power leads away from Trump, will fuel some of them to finally now distance themselves uh, from President Trump. But I don't know. But we've done our duty in the House, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud we had some Republicans stand with us, but we had far too many Republicans in the House who have aided and abetted this this disaster, um, and they should be held accountable. Aided and abetted. What does that mean uh, to you in terms of other than backing Trump and the vote to not certify do you think there's a chance that any of your colleagues had anything to do with making it easier for the mob? I think I think there's enough out there to be investigated. Uh, colleagues of mine saw members and staff uh, picking people around. I personally didn't see that. I think we should look into it. It shouldn't be that hard to ask these members what they were doing, who they were with, um, to check out those people. Um, that'll all be a known thing. Uh, we should look into it. Um, but, but what is clear is that they have been engaging in other conduct that is horrific. I mean, it is no small thing to to spread a lie that an election was stolen, to make it seem as though there's a monstrous evil being done when in fact it's it's our it's our peaceful transfer of power. And by the way, they're bragging about bringing guns to the Congress. They're shoving Capitol police officers, refusing to go through uh, the metal detectors. Literally a couple of days after those same Capitol police officers saved all of our lives. I mean, what what kind of crop of crazy has come to the Congress uh, in this in this new season that this is what we're dealing with? And many of them are are conspiracy theorists who are following this QAnon nonsense. So there's reasons to look at the, the actions of these members. So, you know, so much for anti-elitists. They won't even go through a metal detector. They're too good for that. Uh, but do you believe that any of these men or women could pose a threat to you personally? Look, after the events of the 6th, I don't think we're taking any chances. I don't, I don't think anything is too much at this point. That's why I think you're seeing a robust security presence on the Capitol. That's why you're going to see all of, these, all, of these, uh, all these people in the mob investigated and tracked down. I think members of Congress have tough questions to answer. They should answer them. We're talking about something as fundamental as the safety of the president-elect and the vice president-elect. Uh, and these people are going to be up close to them at the inauguration. Representative Lauren Boebert. It's coming at you. Guns right advocate. So what? QAnon sympathizer. Not a good sign. She tweeted, Representative Sean Maloney made false and baseless conspiracy claims about me that led to death threats and hundreds of vile phone calls and emails. His comments were extremely offensive, shameful and dangerous. Response. 
Well, you want to do the punchline or should I? I mean, yeah, the, the, the punchline is, is that I never I never said her name. Uh, they're so incompetent uh, that they didn't bother to look at my interview with Nicole Wallace when I said basically what I said to you, which is that I didn't have firsthand knowledge. But she did make a video saying, saying she was going to bring a gun to Congress. So if you're going to be a gun nut, you shouldn't go off half-cocked. Uh, I never mentioned her with respect to giving tours, but she has many other things she needs to answer for. And it is her mixture of incompetence and arrogance that is the hallmark of so many of these Trump followers. How do you do business in this environment uh, if there is literally an open chance, not that they may be out to get you policy-wise, but out to get you personally? Well, look, it. I mean, I, you know, I mean, come on, what are we talking about? I mean, I mean, not, these guys are not as tough as they, they, they say they are. They're not 10 feet tall. You're talking about a bunch of people who believe in conspiracy theorists. Uh, frankly, I wouldn't trust them to drive my kids to the airport. So there are enough serious people in Washington still that we can do serious things. We've got a pandemic taking 4,000 Americans a day. Uh, I, I'm so glad the vice president, excuse me, the president-elect came out today and gave that very powerful speech, laying out a real plan to have a real national priority around vaccine, around better testing, around all the things we should have been doing for months. Uh, that's the adult in the room. And there's still Republicans who understand that we have real work to do. Uh, and thank God we're in the majority in both houses of Congress and we can work with the new president to get the serious issues addressed. But there also needs to be accountability for what happened uh, on the 6th. And we can do both. Well, look, we've never need, needed better out of government than we do right now. And it's never been a worse environment. Uh, so we'll be watching very closely. Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney, God bless and be well. Thank you. All right. All right. Coming up, we have another body blow to Trump's chances at trial. Want to show you the face of his potential biggest enemy. Next. There's a very interesting development going on in the criminal investigation. You have 275 criminal cases now open in the Capitol riot um, probe, right? hundred people are in custody. Most face federal charges. Now, that had seemed like the lowest fruit to me. You know, they have to do this. Absolutely. Law and order for real. Um, but there are much more tough calls to be made about who helped and Trump himself. Now I was wrong because what we're hearing from these people about why they did something, it may be out of convenience to try to help their cause. I don't know that it'll work in a court of law. But with what Trump's facing, each time somebody says, I did this bad thing and I'll tell you why, and it leads to Trump and what he thought or she thought Trump was telling them to do, it is bad. That includes the words of Robert Sanford. These are shots of the retired firefighter from Pennsylvania in the crowd. Okay, he just retired in 2020. Prosecutors say he's the person seen in the video throwing a fire extinguisher at a group of officers. It hits an officer in the head, ricochets, hits two others. Court documents say Sanford had, quote, followed the president's instructions and gone to the Capitol. He's facing four counts, knowingly entering or remaining in any restricted building or grounds without lawful authority, disorderly or disruptive conduct on Capitol grounds, civil disorder, and assaulting, resisting, or impeding certain officers while engaged in the performance of official duties. His lawyer, Enrique Latoyson, joins me now. Counselor, thank you. Good evening. The easy call is, that's your guy in the video. 
he did what they say he did. And your argument is he had a good reason to do it or a justification for doing it? How so? Well, I'm going, not going to say that it's just a convenience with Trump, uh, you know, incited the riot and incited the people to go down there. I mean, it's accurate. This is actually what took place. My client, Mr. Sanford, is 55 years old, hasn't been to the Capitol since he was 13 years old. He's retired. He's a retired firefighter. He served his community for 26 years. He had just retired in March. Um, he is a Trump supporter, and it was told to him that there was a bus, a free bus, that was going down to the Capitol for the rally. So you know, and I know, and everyone knows that this rally was a good mile, mile and a half away from the Capitol building. So he goes down there, he's got a backpack on, he's got some water and some snacks in, in his backpack, and he's simply there to support his president. He's there to do a peaceful protest. But hold on a second. And- hold on a second. I'm with you. There's a bus. Come on down. Go to the Capitol. Okay, it was made easy. Nobody told him to become a thug and an insurrectionist and pick up a fire extinguisher, toss it at cops and then make his way into a melee to get into the cradle of our democracy. Well, that is partly true. But what I'm going to tell you is that when you when you look at what took place, so they're there and they're hearing, you know, from the president, he's the commander in chief. They're telling him to, to fight and to stand up for your country and to do all these things and, and to protect the Constitution and all these things. He was there to be at that rally. Next thing you know, they're being told to go down to the Capitol building. So they walk. He walks for 20, 25 minutes with thousands of people. He gets down there. He's at the back of the building. So, you know, it's very important to separate Mr. Sanford from some of the other things that were shown. He was not walking around with a six foot spear. He was not, you know, physically attacking uh, Capitol uh, officers. He hit him in the head with a fire extinguisher. Well, the first thing I'm going to say about that is this fire extinguisher was empty. You can see it bounces almost toy like there was debris and there was stuff being thrown everywhere. Come on, come on. Enrique, come on. Give me a break. Huh? You, I hit you in the head with an empty fire extinguisher. Are you going to feel good about it? It's a crime. No, it's a not. felony. And, and we both we both not. know it. We look, the I'm guy, not, the guy I, did bad I, things. The guy did bad things. He did them knowingly. He did them wantonly. And he may have an explanation. That's the part that I care about. What do you know about this guy that makes it legit to you that he really felt that the president wanted him to do that crap? Because why else would you have someone who has never been in trouble before? He's a family man, father of three, never intended to be a part of anything. Unlike your former guest that was just on, he was not there the night before. He got there at 6.30 in the morning. Um, the bus left. He got there at 9 o'clock. He went down there. He wasn't staying overnight. It was a bus that was going to be there for a couple hours, and they were leaving. There are plenty of Robert Sanfords in this situation. We're not talking about these these yahoos that ran inside the building who, who put their feet on the desk and stole things and walked around with a spear and were actively pummeling uh, Capitol officers. We're talking about people that got involved in a a mob-type situation who threw some things. What he did was wrong, absolutely, but that's not who he is as a person. Then why did he do it? He's been on for 55 years. What's more important is what is his overall track record? He served his community. He's never been arrested. No, that goes to sentencing. That goes to sentencing. Why did he do it? What I'm saying, he got caught up in the moment. There were things being thrown everywhere. There was debris everywhere. He picked something up, and he regrets it. I will tell you that that no officer 
was hurt in that incident. That is what the That's charging lucky. document is. Then it's lucky because he threw well, a heavy metal item at their head. What I'm I, saying I, is I, how real, how real is his commitment to the idea that Trump wanted me to do this. I was doing what my president told me to do. Is that real or is that convenience? It's not convenience because when you're going to a rally that's a mile and a half away and then you find yourself a mile and a half down at the Capitol building, you're only there because you're being told by your commander in chief and your president to go down there. Stand up for your country. Chris, listen, Obama was my guy. Okay, now, if I went to an Obama rally and Obama was sitting there saying, hey, I was disenfranchised. They stole my votes. They did all these different things. I want you to head on down to the Capitol building. I go on down to the Capitol building. And you throw a fire extinguisher at my head? I'm not saying I throw a fire extinguisher at your head, but what I'm saying to you is that you have to put yourself in that position to understand that he is not the same. He was around back. He didn't even realize there were people getting in around front. He was not a part of any organized uh, revolt. And he would testify to the fact that what he did, he believes 100% in his heart, is what he was being told to do by the president. What, what, Chris, what I'm saying to you is that when he did what he did, he regretted what he did. He was very remorseful. He turned himself in to the FBI. And when he found out no one got hurt, as you may put it, he was lucky in that sense. He was thrilled and very relieved. His wife is upset. He is upset. He is embarrassed to be in this situation. But once again, you have to separate what people did, individuals, what he did was wrong. What he did was wrong. Absolutely. And by the luck, as you put it, mm-hmm. no one got mm-hmm. hurt. But what he did and who he is is two different things. And when you have someone who's never been arrested before, and when you have someone that made a, a micro mistake in, in, in a long life of doing the right thing, I'm saying that that matters. Yeah, it, it, will. It, it, it will. It's <laughs> sentencing. I'm just saying that he may have larger political significance than this will help him legally. But we'll see. I'll follow the case. And Enrique Latoyson, I, I appreciate you making the case. Thank you. Thank you. Now, again, you guys can talk about this any way you want. But let me be very clear about what the value is in this. I do not think this is going to help this guy. OK, uh, you are what you do in the eyes of the law. And your intent um, is going to be pretty specific and could have been formed right in that moment. However, if everything that Latoyson says about his own guy is true, and there are one after the other after the other of, I don't know, I I shouldn't have done it, I shouldn't have done it, but I just felt like this is where I was supposed to be, and this is what I was told, and there were all these people around me, and they were all saying, you know, this is it for Trump, we got to do it for Trump. You bring those affidavits or people into a political trial, and Republican has to listen after man and woman, all in their base, saying that, But for Trump and telling me I wouldn't have done that, that's what I thought you guys wanted me to do. It could change the tone and tenor, which is all about what senators feel like doing. There is no burden of proof. There is no standard. It sounds like it's law, but it isn't. It's politics in that room. And that's why it matters. And that's why a guy who's a 20-year firefighter, who's a Trumper, who could live on your block, does something like this. And he says that's why. This could mean a lot more to Trump than it'll mean to him. And to be clear, Trump brought this on himself. But these are the people that he said he loved. And now they could bring him down. What could this mean? Let's bring in the great minds. Next. Next. 
Since this is Donald Trump's last Friday as president, you think he'd be working on COVID or talking with Republicans on next moves or doing everything he can to tell his supporters to stand down as we get closer to the inauguration. No, he already said that once. That's enough. Instead, he said to be planning his vengeance on the Republican congressmen and women who voted to impeach him and meeting with the pillow guy. Let's discuss the state of play with Van Jones and Michael Smirkanish. Um, Van, interesting development here. Uh, Senator Lankford saying, I, I didn't know that uh, challenging the vote uh, would be offensive to black people. The only places they're challenging the vote are in the black population centers. You know, Biden won and overperformed in a lot of suburbs. They're not complaining about that. Your take. Well, I mean, it, that was uh, obvious from the very beginning that there was this sort of code uh, going on. Oh, it's about Philadelphia. It's about Philadelphia. The crazy thing is that Trump actually did better in Philadelphia and did better with black people in Philadelphia uh, uh, the, in 2020 than he did in uh, uh, 2016, where he was getting beaten uh, was where a bunch of white suburbanites were moving in an opposite direction and they never talked about it. So that lets you know we're not dealing with the world of fact. We're not dealing with the world of reality. We're dealing with some other narrative that when Democrats win, it's because black people cheat. That is what they were playing into, even though that was, in fact, not the reason that they uh, lost a bunch of those states. Um, do you want in on this? Or can I ask you about something else, Merck? Look, there's a history of voter fraud in Philadelphia. It didn't impact this cycle, and it has cut historically across racial lines. I'm sitting here doing a mental calculus and thinking about those guys, you know the expression, who've gone away. Believe me, they've been white and they've been black. Uh, let me ask you something else. Do you, do you think I'm wrong about the potential value of person after person saying, yeah, I went to that Capitol, yeah, I did what they say I did, but I did it because that's what the commander in chief wanted me to do. That's what Trump wanted me to do at a political trial. How powerful could that be? Question to me. The yeah. answer is very powerful. Here's what I think, Chris. I think it's more about polls than it is about evidence. The evidence that you brought forth in that last segment, by the way, I get a real kick out of the defense that the fire extinguisher was empty as if it's a Nerf football. Come yeah. on. That's like but what they the say deal. in my house when it's my kids really... hit each other. My hand was open. Right. Go ahead. Right, right. The deal is it's more about the polls. I'm paying close attention to the polling data because I think really what's going on among Republican members of the Senate is they want to know, can I get away with voting for conviction? Because on the merits, you can make the causation argument and he deserves it. They're only going to do it if they feel they can step out with the base. And so, yes, that evidence is important, but only if it moves the needle, only if it's mm. widely seen. And that's the value of a trial. The trial is an opportunity, and I know it's not a legal trial per se, but it's an opportunity to showcase all of that information. And it takes weeks. Van, I mean, just think about it in terms of the irony. Uh, now, look, people are saying, don't have these people on. They're giving these terrible excuses. I don't care about their excuses for their legal, uh, you know, th their legal issues. It's not going to work in a court of law. But in terms of what it means for Trump to hear his own say, I will remove all doubt. I love this guy, Trump. And I'm telling you, it was his lead that I followed. Is that what the Democrats are looking for? I, I, I think so. And also, um, you know, when you talk about incitement to riot, uh, a big part of proving that up is 
uh, not just your intention. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, criminal intention matters, but you know, the impact, the effect of your words, the overall context, everything that was going on in its entirety with those words have created the kind of reaction that you saw. And I think it's inarguable that had they had a normal rally where normal politicians said normal things, those people would have been much less likely to go and tear up the uh, Capitol building and kill a police officer. If there, there's a direct connection between how abnormal it is for the president of the United States to call together thousands of people and 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 send them up to the Capitol right. uh, enraged. Right. And uh, so I, th- I do think, yeah. As a Democrat, what is your concern about what Biden is stepping into here? Uh, you got members of Congress on the left thinking that members of Congress on the right may try to kill him. Uh, not figuratively, literally. And he has to get all these big things done. He's got the pandemic looming over everything. The vaccine thing is a nightmare. He can't just magically make vaccine. Um, what is the calculus for them in terms of just how much burden they can put on his plate? Well, look, we have four political parties, not not two. Um, you know, you have the mainstream uh, uh, Democrats led by Biden. Uh, but you also have, you know, the left of our party, you know, AOC, Bernie, Black Lives Matter and others. They want a lot. They want it right now. And they see Biden more as a target often than a partner. And then you've got the Republican Party. But you also have MAGA, uh, sometimes in alliance with QAnon and sometimes even white nationalists. So you got at least four political parties all up there in a food fight every day. And Biden is going to have a tough time. I think that the great strength of Biden, though, is that he's clear about why he's there and what he wants to get done. And so he is that steady hand, he's gonna be that steady voice in the room. Uh, but right now the political system is cracking and uh, you know he's, he's gonna have a very tough time. Last word, Michael. Last. What kind of opportunity does he have to get out of the box if all of the O2 in the room continues to be sucked out by Trump because the eyes of the nation are on an impeachment trial? It's really a no-win proposition for the president-elect. I feel sorry for him in that regard. He doesn't get to start with a clean slate. Gentlemen, the two best-looking heads in the business, thank you very much for helping the audience on this Friday (laughs) night. Van Jones, Michael Smirconish, thank you and God bless. All right, one of the last great lies of this White House is also one of its most heartbreaking. The second wave of COVID vaccine was supposedly in reserve. It's not even there. Governors are furious. What does that mean for the battle to get our nation healthy? Just how big a hole are we in with what was supposed to be the miracle cure? Next. Alex Azar just handed in his resignation letter as Secretary of Health and Human Services. He says he plans to stay till the inauguration. But on his way out, he still sold you one of the last bogus bill of goods. This was his promise Tuesday. We can now ship all of the doses that had been held in physical reserve. This was him today. No, there's not a reserve stockpile. We're going to ship all the things in reserve. There is no reserve. So those thousands of life-saving vaccines that were on their way, mere trumpery, a bookkeeping sleight of hand, fugazi, as we say here. But while they play games, Americans are dying by the thousands more than ever. States are now facing yet another empty promise. 
This is deception on a national scale. I am shocked and appalled. This was a abject failure, and now they've added a final, unimaginable uh, injustice. We will continue to do what we've had to do, clean up the mess that, that the federal government leaves us with. What's the truth here? Look at the numbers. It's clear that states need help. We're still only getting about 40% of all the shots available into people's arms. That bottom number, uh, that's what matters. Doses administered, a little over 12 million. We need to be at 528 million doses before we're really out of the woods. Life really can go back to normal. To do that by June, that was the goal, that Secretary Azar promised, that would mean more than tripling the rate of doses. Bottom line, fixing this required three things, okay? Money, manpower, and a new mentality. Forget about this, oh, it's just greedy governors trying to grab cash. Look at the numbers. The Infectious Diseases Society of America pointed out states have only seen about half of what Congress just passed saying, quote, the remainder must be expeditiously distributed to states and local health departments in order to address obstacles such as limited staffing, supplies and space that preclude getting the vaccine to the people. For all the success of Operation Warp Speed, okay, and there was, they got the vaccines made and approved fast. There is a key snag in the supply chain that they knew about and did nothing. People. The companies, Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, they need thousands more workers, reportedly, to make the vaccine, the shots. Hospital staffs stretched thin, already being asked to carry too much. They're trying to keep people alive. Now they're supposed to do the vaccines, too. Meanwhile, Walgreens, CVS, they say they're ready to help. CVS alone is promising a million doses a day. They're just waiting on the feds. Why? Why are they waiting? As for the mentality... It's clear the current team isn't going to change. So what about the team that takes over next week? Are they more willing to shoot straight? We've got to take the president-elect at his word, at least in the beginning. We certainly never heard, heard Trump say anything like this. The honest truth is this. Things will get worse before they get better. I told you I'll always level with you. Now, that will likely be true about the numbers and the pain and the fear. It cannot be true about the planning. You know what I'm saying? You can't blame Biden for what he inherits. But once he gets in there, within a reasonable amount of time, they have to start going in the better direction. Otherwise, they're just as much to blame. The response can't get worse before it gets better. You understand? And they're going to have questions to answer. He laid out his vaccine plan today, plus how new variants could speed up the COVID spread. Nobody better to dig into it than... Chief Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Next. From Trump pandemonium to the pandemic, that's what matters now. COVID deaths rising faster than ever. At any point, the dark days that health officials have long warned about are here. But be very clear, they're here because you and I have failed to do what we needed to do. Now researchers warn it's likely to get worse because there's a new, more contagious variant here. Doesn't mean that it makes you more sick, doesn't mean the vaccine won't work, but it means it spreads more easily and it may be the dominant strain 
within weeks. Let's discuss this with Chief Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Good to see you, brother. What does this strain mean? Do I have it right? Yeah, Chris. Uh, this, so it's a more transmissible strain. Uh, it doesn't appear to be more deadly, but if it's more transmissible, more easily get into vulnerable populations, that's obviously a problem. It's not surprising that it'll become the more dominant strain. That is what the more, the more transmissible strains do. Caitlin River over at Hopkins uh, basically said it, it, it probably doubles its proportion every week. So if it's 5% this week, it'd be 10% next week, 20% the week after that, that's when it becomes the more dominant strain. Big question, Chris, um, are, do the antibodies either generated by the vaccine or, from, or in people who've previously had the infection, will those antibodies work against this strain? Don't know for sure yet, but they appear that they will. Pfizer says they think they will, so that's gonna be tested now. But Chris, these, these uh, viruses will probably continue to mutate, and it, it is possible that you know, the, uh, the vaccine will be something that either needs to be given you know, every year, every couple of years, or, or a booster shot or something because of that, Chris. Mm. What do you make of this not enough vaccine situation? Is this just about the reality of distribution or is this poor planning? And how do we fix it? Well, it's, it's clearly poor, poor planning, Chris, because, you know, we're talking about some of the most precious commodities on earth and we're not exactly sure how many doses there are. There may be reserve doses, there may be not. That's just, that's silly. I mean, considering how, how in demand these are, we should know exactly what's going on. I think part of this may be semantics, Chris. Uh, you know, reserve dose versus second doses. What, the way this went down is the Biden administration basically said, hey, we recommend not withholding any reserve doses. At first, the current administration said, well, we're, you know, that's a bad idea. And then they said, you know what, we're going to do the same thing. We're not going to hold back any reserve doses. And then it comes out, well, there's actually no reserve doses to hold. And that makes a lot of states uh, you know, angry, as you, as you showed earlier, because they thought we were going to get a surge of vaccine doses. That's the bad news. We also heard tonight that Pfizer basically has said the second doses, they, they still have those, and they're going to start shipping them. So I guess the good news is we're going to get second doses into the state, so hopefully it'll help alleviate some of that Is the first dose different than the second dose? No, it's the same dose. Right, but so you know, what happened more. was there was like 40 million... It's just more. They, they, they held back the second doses. They also held back a small amount of reserve just to sort of even out the, the surge demand in states after the first dose. But nevertheless, that, that reserve is gone. Now the second doses are going out. So how do we get more? We, do, we just need more. We're nowhere near the rate uh, for two reasons, right? We don't have enough manpower and infrastructure to put them into people's arms. And we don't have enough doses. So how do we get more? The, the, the bigger problem is the first one right now, because, you know, even the, as you showed, even out of the doses that have been distributed, only about uh, close to 40 percent have actually been used. So that, that's that's the that's the big problem right now. And it is that first problem, you said, uh, you know, having enough manpower to actually push the syringes into arms. That's a rate limiting step. You know, Chris, the other problem is like, where do you go to get a vaccine right now? People watching. Do you know exactly who you'd call or where you'd go to get a vaccine if you qualify? A lot of people don't still. This idea of having community centers going into communities, making it easy to understand where you get your vaccine. That's going to be very. There's nothing easy about it. You have to go online right now where I am and and not just where I am. I've heard this from other people. And you basically have to sit and hope you get lucky and that they cancel an appointment. And you can get that canceled appointment and go. And then they tell you whether or not you can come because they may not have enough vaccine to fill the appointments. Oh, it, 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 it's it's I mean, again, 
Keep in mind, we're talking about the most precious commodities on, on the planet right now. That's the way they're being treated. My parents waited at 1.30 in the morning in Florida to get their vaccine, 300 doses. They were numbers 288 and 289, luck of the draw to some extent, you know, and had to wait nine hours outside as well. So it's been tough. Hopefully these community centers that we're talking about, that the, uh, the Biden administration is talking about, will help. Uh, President-elect Biden said on day one, FEMA will be in charge of starting to do that, bringing in Commission Corps to help uh, uh, alleviate the manpower issues and, and maybe even retired health care workers. All these plans will sort of help. Manufacturing will, will, will ramp up, Chris. I mean, you know, think about it. Pfizer says they can make two billion doses in a year. Now, a lot of that is earmarked for countries outside the United States but it gives you some sense of the manufacturing capacity of these large companies. Yeah, but they got to get it done. And they need people, too. They need people to meet their own capacity. Sanjay, thank you very much for setting us straight. Um, I'm sorry about your parents, but I'm happy they got the vaccine. Be well, brother. Okay, you got it. Thanks. We'll be right back. Thank you for watching. Time for the big show, CNN Tonight, with its big star, a.k.a. the Friday Night Delight, D. Lemon. I thought you were going to say, I have, a, I have a confession, okay? I have an announcement. It's just between us. Go ahead. I am black. Openly? Openly black. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. Chris, we were just having this conversation before this happened. Am I lying? Nope. We were laughing about it, and I said, yeah, and one night I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, Chris, always bet on black. And <laughs> yeah. we're going to crack up about it. Right. So tonight, always bet on openly black. <laughs> this guy, somebody wrote a piece about Don uh, speaking truth to power about uh, what these election allegations are really about. Yeah. Um, and they described him as <laughs> openly black. Okay. <laughs> so listen, here's what I say. So I'm sure people are going, what does that have to do with anything? This is why I think it's important and I think it's okay to have this conversation. Because of where we are in the world right now, anywhere you can find a way to have a conversation, some common ground, to meet each other, there, there's a meeting of the minds. And then we get into it with humor about being openly black. And then we can actually start a conversation about the real issues, which we're dealing with race now, which we've been talking about. And Senator Langford. And, Sen and Senator Langford. But let me just before that. I understand, I know openly black, whatever. I understand what the writer was doing there. The writer was, it was satire saying basically, and here's why this is important to Don Lemon as a black man. Uh, and sort of backed into the piece. And so I thought it was, I thought what he did was brilliant. Now, you probably, you know, weren't sure. And Senator Langford needs to figure out what his openly black well, look, he may be a good study. With. If you take him at face value, all right, let's, we can start doing that again until everybody deceives us and we can't do it anymore. Um, if he didn't know. Well, let's say what Senator Langford did. He, he apologized to his black constituents for uh, questioning the integrity and voting him against the uh, Because he didn't election. think that that would be offensive right. to them. And, yeah. But the problem is the only places where they're questioning the vote were big black population centers. Yeah. Philadelphia, and, Atlanta, Detroit. And look, is there a history of voter fraud in Philadelphia? Yes. Was there proof of it in this election? No. Yeah. And by the way, Trump didn't do badly in yeah. those population centers relatively. There was overperformance uh, by black people because they were super activated in this race. Yeah. And it was the suburbs that were his problem. But they're only focusing on where the black people were. Yeah. And their black people were super activated because of the issues that we have been talking about 
you know, since the election and really since the, the insurrection uh, happening at the Capitol. So, there, you know, there you go. And I'm going to talk about all of that. But, you know, Good. now that I'm openly black, maybe you can come out and be openly white. Well, I can't believe I've been saying all those things about black people around you. I didn't know that you were openly black. Um, you know what You're I also thought You're was interesting? Not, you are a fool. You're a fool. But go on. Imagine the irony. Yeah. If the people that love Trump the most wind up being the most damaging to him at trial. Yeah, that could happen. And by doing what he's never done, another irony, just telling the truth. Uh, okay, listen, I got to tell you something, and I think it's true. Um, I think what you, there is some optimism that we can, there's, you can be optimistic about what's going on, because I think everything is um, sort of uh, a chip, right, chips away, every, every little bit chips away at at, at, at what's happening in this country. I think um, Amart Arbery, George Floyd started Breonna Taylor. And then what happened with the election uh, started to chip away at the veneer that, uh, that we've dealt with racial issues in this country and, and you know, racial justice and all of that. And then what happened on Wednesday, I think, also chips away, takes a big chip out of it because I'm hearing from members of law enforcement who said, well, maybe we need to think about you know, who actually supports uh, law enforcement and what that means, right? Seeing how people re reacted, what happened at the Capitol. And there are, there are members of law enforcement who I have spoken to and other people have told me they, ha they, feel, they feel guilt in some way about their just, you know, unbridled support for this, for this president um, because they felt like they in some way betrayed their fellow officers, Right. And they weren't fair to their fellow officers. So if there is some sort of meeting of the minds, um, some common ground that can be reached from this, I say that's great. But it, it's going to be a lot of work. That's just this is just the beginning. But I do think um, we are making some progress, whether we, we, we may not see it. But I do believe we are making progress when these events happen. We've been working on it for a long time and yeah. we've got a long way to go. But I love you, Don Lemon, and I, I look forward to you speaking the truth. I love you, too, and always bet on openly black. Openly black. <laughs> Only in this world. I love you. I'll see you this weekend. See you, brother. <laughs> see ya. We all do things our own way, and since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.